So finally, we were like, just almost on a lark, we said, you know what, let's set up a weekend seminar series at Wharton. And then within a week, other schools, other business schools, elite business schools in the East Coast were emailing us saying, you got to bring whatever program, this program you just did, you got to bring it here to Harvard, you got to bring it to NYU, you got to bring it to... So Nim and I immediately felt that we were onto something. What's up, everybody? My name is Ish, and I'm the founder of Virtually. And this is Reshaping Education where we discuss the future of higher education, including online trade schools, boot camps, ISAs, and so much more. This week's conversation is with David Yang, the co-founder and CEO of Full Stack Academy. We revisit the coding bootcamp revolution, how Full Stack Academy was able to build, grow, and scale before ultimately getting acquired, and the power of cohort-based learning. I hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, my name is Ish, founder and CEO of Virtually, and today I'm joined by David Yang, the founder and CEO of Full Stack Academy. David, so great to have you here today. Would you be able to introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, super excited to be here, Ish. My name is David Yang. I founded Full Stack Academy in 2012. We are also a Y Combinator, y Combinator alum, and we grew Full Stack of past eight years and um, really have started to expand both in our direct-to-consumer business and then also supporting university boot camps over the last three years and have grown that to be a significant portion of our business where next year, I think it's going to be actually a, a bigger part of our business than even our, our core um, full-stack academy business. So that's been really exciting. Uh, co-founded it with my, uh, my very good friend, Nimit Maru, uh, who I actually met on the first day, of, first day of college more than 20 years ago. So... Um, been a pleasure working with him these last eight years. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, to kind of go back to the origins of Full Stack, just have always loved engineering culture, training engineers, the um, and just seeing the progress people can make in this field, not only in the boot camp, but after their, afterwards in their career has been a, um, I would say one of the great honors of my life uh, and one of the great projects that I've had a chance to work on. Yeah, no, totally. David, I mean, one of the reasons I really want to bring you on is one, we, you know, besides just being a YC founder, you're an, you're an educational enthusiast. I mean, like, if you actually look at your track history, from working at Yahoo, to being a professor, uh, to running your own coding bootcamp, it just feels like you've always been, in terms of like education, innovation, you've been there. And you've been a big part of the coding revolution bootcamp that happened back in 2012. And so a few of the topics I really wanted to touch base on with you was kind of, you know, your journey to starting full stack, to growing it, to scaling it, and then to take a step back and look at like, hey, what is this trend that's going on? Obviously, I think like, you know, coding bootcamps were the first to really take over this online education space, this live online cohort based learning. But I don't think it's the first vertical. I think COVID has really accelerated the trend. And now we're going to see these new types of private companies starting their own educational institutions that may in the long term completely replace the university model. Uh, Again, these are just some of the topics I want to discuss. But before we get into all that juicy content, why don't we start with your background and journey to Full Stack Academy? So it's funny. I grew up the uh, child of two immigrants who are both um, professors in the academy. And I think growing up in the academy, I was like, I'll never be part of education, just seeing how, uh, you know, you know, the university is such a, it's such a beautiful mix of contradictions, right? You have, um, and so I was like, and I'll, I'll never go into the, go into what my parents did, even though, you know, they had great lives and success in the academy. Um, 
And so, and I was always in love with tech from a very young age. I think I was, you know, I meet a lot of people who are like, what do I want to do with my life? I think the first time I sat in front of a computer, I knew me and this thing were going to spend our lives together doing this dance of, um, you know, I think to the romance of the computer to me is that it is an infinite expansion of creativity for the human mind, right? Anything you can think about, if you can express it to the computer, the computer can do everything that your brain can't do simply. Um, and it's, it allows for, it's an infinite, you know, Lego set for, for thinking. Um, so then I spent most of my career actually being an engineering manager. I got, I was very fortunate. My second, my third job out of school, I, I joined a startup very quickly growing. I was employee number five and got to build out an engineering team of over 30 to 40 engineers as a, you know, mid 20, 20 year old um, engineer, which was a, so that was a great opportunity. And um, I think what I just kept seeing was how, how varied people were coming to the field. And it didn't seem like we were really, we really had good training options for people to enter engineering. So if I think back to the, you know, mid to mid 2000s, 2000, early 2010s, it was like, People came into programming because, you know, they were lucky they had a computer growing up. They are, you know, they were computer science students, but there weren't that many of those. And uh, it just seemed like this thing was growing exponentially, the demand for software developers, but the availability was kind of trickling in, right? Through computer science programs and through uh, people kind of randomly finding it and being in love with it, right? Like hobbyists. Um, and then, so my co-founder Nimit, he had, he, he was graduating from Wharton in 2012. And I don't want to say that we saw this field fully formed. We almost stumbled upon it because what happened is that I was visiting him at Wharton and we were talking about business ideas because we wanted to do something together. And all his friends at school were like, oh, David, you and Nimit, you guys know how to program. You got to like teach us about programming. Like we want to go work at Dropbox. We want to go work at, you know, we want to go work on the, on the West Coast and we don't know anything about technology, right? So these business school students kept harassing us to teach them something about, you know, how to talk tech, what, what it meant to be a programmer. So finally, we were like, just almost on a lark. We said, you know what? Let's set up a weekend seminar series at Wharton. Um, it'd be like 200 bucks, 200 bucks a day and just see what kind of demand we would have. So we, we put a landing page up and we emailed it out to the Entrepreneur Club at Wharton. And within an hour, 30 seats had been filled up for the whole you know, from Wharton. And then within a week, other schools, other business schools, elite business schools in the East Coast were emailing us saying, you got to bring whatever program, this program you just did, you got to bring it here to Harvard. You got to bring it to NYU. You got to bring it to... So Nim and I immediately felt that we were onto something, right? Like there was this huge demand to learn about tech. Our big pivot was really, okay, it's really fun teaching MBA students how to talk about tech and how to do, you know, how to make their first website. And MBA students, you know, they, they are all type AA people. They will work until like midnight to make sure the assignment's complete, but they only wanted to talk tech. They didn't want to be programmers. So we're like, how do we actually make, um, you know, connect a few strands from our past? So how do we, as engineering managers, make the people we wanted to hire our whole career, right? And so that really was the genesis of, of the idea. Um, we work backwards from, okay, what do we want to hire? Who were we hiring back then? And how were they trained? And you, what you realize immediately almost is that our whole industry depends a lot upon luck, right? Someone falls in love with programming and someone going through a CS program where they might only be taking really one programming class a semester, right? So over eight semesters, you take, you know, eight programming classes, all the other stuff, the gen eds, you know, that's 
not wasted. I think there's a lot of value there, but it's not needed to be a programmer. So those two insights led us to create FullSec Academy. Um, we actually had a whole bunch of ideas for timing, how it worked. Um, we found, you know, the three-month model. Um, we built a curriculum around three months, around six months, around a year. And three months just seemed to us like it's long enough that we could do the curriculum we wanted, but it's short enough that you don't feel like I'm taking a big step out of my life, right? It's, I don't know, I don't know. I, I'm a big believer in um, kind of evolutionary psychology. So I think maybe because our seasons are three months, we think three months is about the time it takes to change yourself, but it's not so long that it takes, you know, it, it, uh, it's too daunting to approach. Yeah, no, David, this is, this is really interesting. This is all happening, did you say 2012? Yeah, 2011, 2012. Yeah. Um, he graduated and then we went through YC and then we launched 2013 was our first cohort. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. And, and the reason I'm asking about timing is because around the same time on the West Coast, uh, this Hacker News post comes up. And so we've had a few different uh, founders on this podcast, like Kush Patel. Uh, I've spoken to Harsh from from Galvanize as well. And they've all, all talked about, you know, the starting of this coding bootcamp revolution, which happens around this time. And a lot of them credit this one Hacker News post where this one guy offers to, for the first time, educate a bunch of engineers. And I forget if it was Rails or Python, but the, but the, the deal was that, hey, you go to this program and it's effectively free because at the end of the day, companies were paying these recruiting fees and the recruiting fees would pay for the education. And out of this program came Hackbright, came a App Academy. Uh, at the time when you were building full stack, had you heard about these programs and did it affect your trajectory at all? No. So I believe you're referring to, um, Sharif minus, you know, I would say like the, the coding bootcamp model popped up uh, almost like a Cambrian explosion, three or four separate places. So I would say, um, there was Neil Salas Griffin and, um, in Chicago with starter league. That was one incarnation of it. There was Sharif with what became Dev Bootcamp out on the West Coast. There was, um, you know, General Assembly kind of pivoting into the education model. Um, and in the East Coast, it was General Assembly, Full Stack Academy, and Flatiron School. And I think those are, so I would say those are the five genetic lines that I, that I identify historically. And then out of Dev Bootcamp, you see things like Hack Reactor, Hack Bright, um, App Academy. They were all in that, I mean, can you believe it? They were all in that first cohort at Dev Bootcamp. And it was almost like, it was such a compelling experience. They felt they had to go and expand it, right? And, um, and uh, so, yeah, I would say those are the, probably the five genetic lines where this idea kind of came into this world. And I would say the predecessor of that idea was really, um, if I had to give one, I, one company credit, it's uh, at, at Living Social, a competitor to Groupon. They did something called, um, I can't remember the exact name, but basically it was a three month. You come here, we're going to pay for your, we're going to pay for your education. You work at living social afterwards. Right. And that idea, I think spawned this thing. And then, you know, a few things they give credit to one was what uh, was the Ruby on rails um, kind of explosion. So what, what Ruby on rails really did, I think was solidify the industry around one set of frameworks and languages for building websites. Right. And so, so many startups were doing Ruby on Rails that they all needed the same skill, right? Because you can imagine if you're in the, in the Java world, it multiplies out very quickly, right? Like we're using Tomcat servers with JBoss or, you know, all these multiplication things. It's hard to say like we need one thing. Whereas 
once Rails came out, I was like, we all need Ruby on Rails programmers. It was pretty easy to identify who was a Ruby on Rails programmer. And so all of a sudden you had a, um, a funneling of skill sets matched with an explosion of people who perceived that you could learn this stuff in that short time period. Yeah, no, that's absolutely fascinating. And that's, I've, I've always wondered why was it this year that this kind of coding bootcamp revolution started? And I think the, the argument that you finally had a standardized set of languages for web technology, that's a really good answer. Yeah, uh, I, and- I am curious uh, what happens next. So I, I, you mentioned you went through YC. I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience. You went through YC summer 2012. We just finished the cohort actually earlier this summer, summer 2020, the first virtual cohort. I imagine we had very different experiences. So tell me about yours. Well, YC is, is really hard to pinpoint what the experience is, right? And I think that um, it is, if you look at what the actual logistics of, logistics of the program, um, back when we were doing it, there was Tuesday night dinners and presentations, and there was meetings with the partners, and there were parties that were being thrown by companies. Um, and that was about it, right? And I think what a few things that I really took away from it. One was being with that community, you do feel this competitive magic, Right. Oh, and sorry, it's demo day at the end. Right. Of course, presenting to a bunch of investors. Uh, for me, my recollections were um, being with great co-founders. That was that was the feeling of, you know, everyone you met was more impressive, ambitious, and smart than the last person. That was that was a great that was a great part of it. I really like um, the partners. Right. I think, you know, Paul Graham is definitely a celebrity in the startup world. I. You know, I had read every one of his essays, really studied them, understood what he was trying to say, but then to be able to ask him questions and meet him, he's one of those people that have um, only impressed me more in in the actual meeting of of him and the other partners too, right? Jessica Livingston, uh, Paul Bukite, uh, Jeff Ralston, they were really helpful to us. Um, and then I think the, um, I think one thing that makes boot camps work that I learned from Paul Graham is that by going to something defined like Y Combinator or by coming to something like Full Stack Academy, you have a way to tell everyone else in your life, leave me alone. I'm doing something that's very high leverage in my life right now, right? So for three months, I basically got to tell all my friends, all my family, like, look, I'm busy, I'm focused. So you just get an incredible leverage on your time. Um, So I think those are the things I took away from YC. Um, And of course, as a brand now, I mean, even then it was already in its ascendancy. Now it is like a, uh, a mark that just goes with you that, says a lot to VCs, to employees, to customers, et cetera. Yeah, and I think what you're describing is what we've identified as cohort-based learning. And I think there's something truly magical about having high-intensity learning over a short period of time. We've, you know, at virtually we've worked with a bunch of different programs and you kind of have these two variants. One this cohort-based and the other is kind of this like membership style program where you come, you pick and choose which events you want to go to. And those those programs always have lower engagements uh, than the cohort based because the idea is it's like, oh, this is something that's continuous that, you know, as long as you're part of this community, you have access to these resources. So there's no urgency. There's no reason to take advantage of the community or the resources. Um, You know, it's funny. um, I don't know why so many of these words start with the letter C, but we have what we call the four C model, right? And the, of, because I, I was also wondering, like, okay, boot camps work, but why? What is the mechanics, right? It's like people, who, you know, like when you study things like 
medicine. Like this medicine works, but we oftentimes don't understand the mechanics of why it works. I've, I've been thinking a lot about my mental model of the mechanics of what makes a boot camp work is what I call the four C model, right? And so the four C's are the um, the commitment that you put into it, right? The community that you're with are, are the cohort that you're with, the coaching that you get and the curriculum that you find, right? And the curriculum also include the word curation, right? Oftentimes, you know, it's the internet is infinite information, but that's not necessarily makes it easy to navigate. What I think the other, the asynchronous learning, the problem with that is that it almost becomes like a, like a cataloging effect, right? Where you're just like, I, I mean, everyone knows this, where they go on Coursera and you register for a class and that provides the dopamine you need to feel like, oh, I did, I did my work, right? Um, and so I have, I, have a, I have like a whole catalog of, you know, AI courses that I've, I've added. And like, that's enough dopamine to, for me to feel like, okay, I'm making progress in learning AI. Um, so I think that's, that's the dissatisfaction with asynchronous learning is that it's great if you're very self-motivated. It's great if you know why you're doing this, but if you know, if your target is more amorphously defined, I want to be good at this field. I want to have the right coach in this field. You're right, absolutely right. Core-based learning is so much more effective in my mind than, you know, catalog-based learning. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's the same idea as if you showed up to college and you were handed a textbook and told, hey, read this textbook and then come take the final exam. Like, how how likely is that person to finish that class, let alone college? I mean, the reason that model works is because you have a reason to show up. There's these live lectures, and if you miss it, it's the experience is gone. It'll never be the same. You can always watch the recordings, but it's different. And there's the, the peers, the accountability that's baked in. Um, and I think that's just something that's been missing in on in the online education space up until I think Lambda School really started innovating in, in the fully remote space and basically started introducing some of these elements that you described. Uh, I am curious about what happens next. So you've gone through YC, you've started building out Full Stack Academy. Tell me, tell me the kind of story arc of scaling Full Stack Academy. So I, um, you know, it's what's been interesting to me is that like any other industry, we went through all the similar growing pains of just what it, an industry trying to figure itself out, right? And so early on, I would say that one mental model of this is a Gartner hype cycle, right? And so what that is, is that you have this huge peak at the beginning and then you start, that peak creates so many news articles saying that there was, there was news articles in 2012 talking about how coding programs were going to save American industry, right? Redefine the future of tech, right? And then, and then what you realize is that this is too much hype, right? You can't live up to that kind of hype. And you have this crash, this like trial of disillusionment. And then eventually, you know, the boot camps themselves are still trying to figure things out. They're still working hard. And you eventually get, achieve what, what they call a plateau of productivity, right? People know what boot camps are good for and what they're not good for and what they are good at they get better at and they start, you know, producing a lot of value for the economy. Um, so I would say the, our first, the 20, 2011 to 2013 was definitely that initial peak of hype, right? I mean, I, you couldn't open the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal without reading about, you know, some amazing story of a person who like changed their whole community because they went to a coding bootcamp. And, and then also the outcomes were, you know, I think most boot camps were really um, focused on outcomes-based marketing, right? So like, you know, 99% placement rates, et cetera. Um, so I would say that, that was the first generation of boot camps. And that kind of stuff has, you know, it, of course it's good, 
it has many good things, a lot of innovation, a lot of, um, a lot of innovations created. Um, but then the, our first industry move as an industry was to think about, okay, how do we turn this into more of a controlled nuclear explosion? And that we saw the rise of industry organizations like Nesta was the first one, and then Sir was the second one. And that was really like, okay, let's be as transparent as we can about what's actually happening with outcomes. Right. So that kind of started getting boot camps in line on, okay, you know, this doesn't work for everyone. It doesn't work all the time for even, you know, even under good situations. Um, I think that was the, that was kind of a, the first come to, you know, um, calming of the industry. And then uh, really a lot of innovation started happening around, you know what, are we making this as accessible to as many people as possible? And so we had a lot of innovation in financing, right? I think income share agreements aren't new, but the coding bootcamp um, industry really, I think, re-energized that, 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 that whole discussion, right? So I would credit um, two programs. One is App Academy, and we have a program called Grace Hopper, uh, a woman-only coding bootcamp, where um, both of those areas, we created this idea of pay after you get a job, right? So it wasn't a loan. It's, it, was a, it was, what do you call it, like an outcome-based loan, Right, so that was a lot of, another innovation uh, that Coding Bootcamp really re-energized. Um, and then third, I think, is really who is developing and who is living the bootcamp. Right, oftentimes um, we look at, um, you know, our bootcamp providers. What we're really good at is creating curriculum, creating instruction, uh, creating instructors, creating the right environment, recruiting the right people. Um, can we do that for universities? Can we do that for companies? You know, and um, I think that's been another area with a lot of growth, right? So for example, a lot of university boot camps now are we help service different parts of the of that, you know, that value chain, right? Where we're helping them with instruction, we're helping them with curriculum, we're helping them with finding the right students, we're helping them with, with job placement. Um, and I think going forward, a few areas of innovation. One is definitely the some predictions for the future. One I think is that income share agreements are going to really start to be talked about from not in a, in a positive way in a regulatory framework, right? I think the government is saying like, okay, these income share agreements are great, but are you talking about them correctly kind of on the downside? And how can we make them more accessible for companies to service on the upside? Um, two is I think that the pathway to employment is a really interesting place for innovation, right? Can the employer take more risk from the student? Um, and are, can, their, can their risk sharing be better between employer and student? And in terms of really finding out, um, you know, really we've, America has such a, an interesting like all or nothing employment model, right? But can we figure out apprenticeships, internships that better match the level of commitment that you want from each side, right? It's like, it's like if right now, if I'm a, a bank and I'm hiring an engineer, my mental model of this is that I'm hiring this person for the next 10 years. Can we change that conversation to say, look, I'll try this person out for three months. If it works out, great. I'll try them out for a year, right? If that works out, you know, it's like, can I extend my commitment to them as, as I know more about them, right? And so I think that's the next model of how do we get employers talking about um, better managing the, their risk to help support a student's growth and in entry into the market? Yeah. And, and David, I think like job training, reskilling, um, a lot of things you just talked about are really relevant right now. I mean, like with COVID, I think one of the most terrifying things, and this is an effect of, of the pandemic that I don't think we've really seen 
how catastrophic it really is yet. I think it'll continue to unfold, uh, which is just the unemployment, uh, which is, you know, this year we had, you know, 51 million people who filed for unemployment. And for a lot of these individuals, their, their industries are gone, at least for the next two to three years. And they don't have the option to go back to school. They don't have the option to study for four years, rack up tens of thousands of dollars of debt to maybe land a job. They need very efficient job trading from industry experts with with guaranteed job placement, right? And you know, I think coding boot camps and software engineering has been ahead of the ball for since 2012, since this bootcamp revolution has happened, but it's only really been kind of siloed to software engineering and tech. Do you think COVID is the accelerant we need to see this innovation expand to different verticals? Well, I think the um, one thing that I find particularly unnerving about COVID is how disparate the impact is across class and gender levels, right? And so, um, you know, most of people who are, I would say, in the tech class, they're at home, you know, their impact is they're at home Zooming on video conferences, right? But if you look at our service sector, if you look at, um, you know, the disparate impact on women through this, uh, through COVID, it's definitely created, I think, a lot of imbalances that the government, I think, will be very keen on, on addressing, right? So I think that's that's one thing I, I think that is is coming down the pike of of looking at how do we start patching some of these problems that COVID has created. I do think that, you know, if I look at diff- different industry verticals, the one thing about, the one thing that coding, I think was particularly, um, the reason it was boot camps were particularly well fit is that one, there's very little certification required. Right. Two is that the tools are relatively cheap. Right. A computer is not that much of a um, a barrier to entry for people who want to learn things. And three is that demand was very high. Now, if we look at other areas, we start seeing all those three things that might not hold up. Right. So, um, I've talked. I've been in a lot of conversations with different workforce development around other verticals. One I think is advanced manufacturing. Right. There, you don't have certification problems, but you have high barriers to entry. Right. Like sometimes you want to learn. Um, how to use this piece of equipment. That piece of equipment is like $100,000, right? You just can't, a school can't buy that kind of stuff. Um, Two, healthcare, right? Um, The problem in healthcare is that you have a lot of certification issues. But for example, you know, if you look up coding bootcamp, the other big kind of coding bootcamp is medical coding, right? So medical coding is one of those fields that it's a great, it's similar things, right? Huge demand in industry, not that much certification to enter and um, not that hard to get started. So medical coding is one of those areas that, we're seeing kind of that bootcamp model. Um, and yeah, so I said like, you know, look at healthcare is one of those ones where the certification issue is challenging. It's very hard to, it's very hard to disassemble the certification requirements um, and break that entry point. There's one other one I can't recall off the top of my head right now, but I definitely think that um, both universities, workforce development and industry are having a lot of conversations right now around look, this thing is working in this coding world. How do we take those lessons and bring them into our industry? Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. And, and we're almost at time, David, but I want to kind of leave you with uh, these. You've kind of identified these opportunities. Do you think these are opportunities for new upcoming education companies to take on? Or do you imagine full Stack Academy filling the gap there to some degree? I think that um, it's very hard for us to... So I would say that we feel that in technology and technology adjacent fields, we have more than enough opportunity to occupy us for the next decade, right? So just 
you know, if you think about all the roles in a startup, everything from inside sales, data scientists, DevOps, there's so many things that a company needs to be successful, all where there's demand and supply imbalances, right? Um, if I look, but we have looked at some of these other ones. I think advanced manufacturing is what I find very interesting because not only, because it is, you know, it's the amount of technology that they use in manufacturing now is quite high. Um, and so it is a technology skill. I think that, you know, there's also a um, increasing interest in bringing those advanced manufacturing jobs back stateside. So I, I find that area very interesting. Um, but, you know, I think we just, we feel that there's more opportunity than, than we can even address just in tech. Um, and so I think that it's, by the time we get there, I think there's already going to be a lot of innovation. I already see a lot of people trying to uh, make moves there. Yeah, totally. Uh, focusing on, you know, your minimal viable audience. I think that's very, very standard uh, YC advice. So I, yeah. I totally get behind that. Uh, well, with that, David, thanks so much for coming on. Are there any last minute plugs that you want to give to our audience in terms of how they can learn more about Full Stack Academy and keep up with yourself on social media? Yeah, our website's fullstackacademy.com. Uh, you can you know follow us on all the normal places. We're Fullstack on Twitter. Uh, I'm D Yang on Twitter as well. I don't tweet as much as I, I probably should, but uh, but yeah, you know I think for, the one thing I would say is that I I truly believe the coding like the book if you're interested in a technical career the coding bootcamp right now is still such a great roi offering in this education space right i think definitely people can do it themselves too i i, I have a video on youtube where i talk about how do you construct your own coding bootcamp how do you rebuild the four c's personally so i think if that's if that's i always encourage people who are hesitant about going to coding bootcamp consider that but if you're talking about education dollars Bootcamps are such a high return on your investment right now. It's, it's just such a, um, a great time to want to be in coding. Um, so, you know, and it's a, it's a great career. I mean, not for everyone, but I highly recommend people check it out and, uh, and see if it's for them. Yeah, totally. Well, hey, David, thanks so much for coming on. This was a blast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ish. Great talking to you. And that was David of Full Stack Academy. If you're interested in learning about Full Stack Academy, go on over to fullstackacademy.com. And if you're at all interested in building your own cohort-based learning program, check out Virtually at tryvirtually.com. With that, this is Ish, signing off.